better, you will challenge us, you will inspire us um, and fill our hearts with love and faith towards you, dear Lord Jesus. We just pray, uh, speak to us this morning in, in Jesus' name. Amen. Paul, Silas, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you. We always thank God for all of you mentioning you in our prayers. We continually remember before God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, and with deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord. In spite of severe suffering, you welcomed the message with joy given, given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it, for they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell you how, they tell how you turned to God from idols to serve the true and living God and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. This was one of the first letters that Paul wrote to any of the churches, in fact, probably in about AD 50. We can read about how the church in Thessalonica started, in uh, uh, how it started. You can read about it in Acts chapter 17, when Paul and Silas and Timothy, who also were responsible for writing this letter, or Silas and Timothy together with Paul, uh, they traveled to Thessalonica from Philippi. These places are in North Greece. If you could picture the map, kind of just a long west from present-day Turkey. And uh, the gospel was new to Europe. Before that, they'd been preaching the gospel in Turkey, what is now Turkey. Then it was called Asia Minor. And then they traveled by boat from Troas, which was Troy. Of uh, You'll know the story of Troy and the Trojan horse and all that kind of stuff. Troas, um, as it was called in Bible times, was... Uh, on the same site as ancient Troy a couple of thousand years before that. And they caught a boat at Troas and they uh, embarked, on, uh, got off the boat at Philippi and then started a church there. You can read all about that in Acts chapter 16. Then they moved on to Thessalonica. And as so often was the case, many Jews, first of all, and then Gentiles believed in Jesus and a church was started. There was opposition because the Jews were um, uh, kind of um, jealous of the fact that Gentiles were now getting saved. Um, probably an example of racism, we would call it today. Um, but they thought the gospel, anything good from God was just for them and for no one else. We know it's for everyone, amen? Whatever background, whatever color of skin, whatever language, wherever in the world, 
Amen. Educated, uneducated, rich, poor, male, female, married, single, whole, infirmed. The gospel's for everyone. Amen. Hallelujah. Fat or thin, the, the gospel's for everyone. Hallelujah. Tall or short, right-handed or left-handed, it's for everyone. Amen. We all fit in there somewhere, don't we? Hallelujah. And so the Jews stirred up trouble. There was a kind of, um, uh, they turned against Paul. There was persecution. An angry crowd tried to lynch Paul and his companions, but they were smuggled out and went on to a place called Berea, leaving behind a, a, a young church, a new church. We don't know how big it was. Maybe it was the same kind of size as the number of people here in this room today. We don't know, but probably it was something like that. And they continued to suffer persecution because they were now followers of Jesus. In Berea, where Paul was smuggled out to, another church started up. Then again, there was opposition. Then Paul, who was obviously perceived as the main troublemaker, he was kind of whisked off down to Athens. You can read all about that in Acts, later on in Acts chapter 17. And then they went off to Corinth. Um, after some time, Paul, um, Timothy and Silas, who stayed behind in, in Berea, uh, they joined Paul in Athens, and then Paul sent Timothy back to Thessalonica to find out how they were doing. And uh, again, you can imagine Paul was concerned for this new group of believers being persecuted under difficult conditions. Were they going to last? How, they, how were they getting on? Uh, he just wanted to have news of them to see how they were getting along, and he was praying and trusting God that this new church had taken root and indeed it was beginning to grow and flourish as indeed it was. Timothy came back and linked up with Paul uh, who by this time was in Corinth and uh, gave Paul the good news. The church is doing good <laughs> against all the odds as it were. The church is doing good. And Paul then wrote this first letter to the church in Thessalonica uh, from Corinth, and, uh, and we can kind of catch an understanding of the kind of pressures, issues, things that were going on in Thessalonica through reading this letter. This letter was written in, in the middle of, of intense missionary activity, as we've just seen. Paul was traveling around Philippi, there was a church, Thessalonica, a church, Berea, a church, Athens, although kind of doesn't say many people got saved, something was established, Corinth was being established. There was much missionary activity, much gospel extension. Many churches were being planted uh, in what was previously completely uh, pagan territory uh, of the Roman Empire in Eastern Europe, in the Balkans kind of area, uh, as we know it today, there was nothing previously there of any kind of church or gospel content. This was a time of intense pressure, opposition, uh, fierce opposition in some places, spiritual opposition, no doubt. Paul felt the pressure of it in his own heart and spirit and, and in his mind, uh, and uh, 
this is the conditions in which this letter um, was, uh, was written. And uh, can I just say, in a way, it's, it's exactly the same today. <laughs> um, sometimes we think of these as special times and very different times, but can I just say, even from my little experience, this is a similar kind of thing that's happening today. Just this morning, um, when I got up, I had a, um, a message from uh, an Asian country. I won't tell you what it is, just because it's going probably on the uh, being recorded, but it's a, a Southeast Asian country, and uh, some friends of ours who we've supported, we've been there, Gainer and I, we've stood with them, uh, we're praying for them, they're dear friends of ours, and they've just penetrated with their team a brand new people group that have never heard the gospel before, what, what is called an unreached people group. This last week, there were a number of people saved in a jungle area, in a kind of village area uh, in, in, in this country, and uh, there were several people came to Christ, and last night, because it's a kind of country that would res uh, be, make the gospel illegal, um, they were being baptized. They sent us a, a, a video of the baptism that was taking place at night. You could hardly see it, see it, but all these people were getting baptized. Hallelujah. And then they showed us the subsequent first ever church meeting in that people group, and it happened yesterday. Hallelujah. Uh, praise God. Somehow, by the grace of God, we here in the UK, we can, we can help and get behind and somehow partner and be part of incredible things that God is doing in the world. Amazing. But actually, it's no more incredible out there. It just seems kind of more exotic somehow because it's in a jungle and it's Asia. But it's no different, actually, to what God's doing here with you in the church here in Hailsham. Amen? They would probably hear about what, you know, we're doing in England. They think, wow, the gospel's being preached and bearing fruit in England. Hallelujah. All over the world it's happening. Uh, last week I had a, um, just on Friday now, um, another message from a Middle Eastern country where we've been involved for about five or six years now. Uh, in the capital city of this Middle Eastern country there what was uh, a few believers when we first were involved with them is now 18 underground churches, hallelujah, by the grace of God. And um, they're spreading out, they're um, preaching the gospel in different parts of that country, which previously was overrun by ISIS. Thank God ISIS are almost eliminated. May they not continue their terror activities uh, sporadically or randomly as, as people fear they might. Um, but anyway, that, that country was uh, um, known for its terror and violence and, and terrible things that were happening, especially persecution directed at Christians and still is, may I say, um, They've just seen a whole move of salvation in another part of that country with many, many people, Muslims, coming to faith in Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. 
These are our brothers and sisters. These are people we're partnering in the gospel. These are people that I write and message to and just say, hey, how are you doing these days? And they write back such moving accounts of, of what, what's going on with them. They send pictures of secret baptisms. One of the heartlands of Islam, there were 12 people baptized two, three weeks ago and a new church started undercover in that place. A few years ago, you would have been reading about the atrocities that were going on there in the name of Islam. Now the gospel of love, hallelujah, has reached these people. It's just the same as it was in the Acts of the Apostles, where Simon goes with brothers and sisters operating under intense pressure. The gospel is triumphing. Hallelujah. God is on the move. And uh, you know the most touching thing uh, that always comes through in nearly every communication and I'm sure this is why Paul wrote these, these letters as well. That was his only way of keeping in contact. We can just flash a message across the world and get back almost instantaneously a message. It took weeks for these kind of letters to get through, of course. It's much easier for us to keep in touch. But nearly every time what comes back is, thank you that you care about us. Thank you that you're praying for us. Thank you that you're standing with us. We have the most profound sense of our partnership and connection in God. Your prayers make us strong. Your prayers are causing us to bear fruit. The guy from this Middle Eastern country, he said, your prayers are being answered. We're seeing many, many people. In fact, one of their leaders was almost butchered to death not so long ago. In fact, they say he died. But then, after three hours, God raised him from the dead. <laughs> Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And I don't take these kind of stories as just little fables to stir up a sense of sensationalism. They send pictures through. I had a picture through this week of the dear brother who was almost, who was butchered to death, but is now alive. <laughs> but still very uh, um, kind of, you know, uh, disabled. Not, he's still in hospital recovering from his wounds. But he said every drop of blood that that brother shed, there are Muslim, for every drop of blood a Muslim has been saved. I mean, how many drops of blood have been shed? I don't know. But I think that would mean hundreds and hundreds of people come into faith in Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. And so what was going on in, in, in the days of, of this new church in Thessalonica is what's going on to, today in many parts of the world? I could tell you not so kind of dangerous. I could tell you many other stories in, in places which is not dangerous of incredible miracles my favorite story, I'll just tell you this one, then I'll get back to the, to the book. But you know I'm a man of many stories. <laughs> um, but you probably know we go to Greenland, which is kind of the other end of the world, right up north. And um, 
The last time we were there was a few months ago, and there are 13 churches in Greenland. The whole of that is a bigger island than Australia, uh, but with the smallest population in the world. And they have 13 churches. That's the whole number of churches in that massive great island. And they're very isolated communities, very spread out just along the coast because you can't travel inland. Um, because no roads between towns and villages. You have to go by boat around the coast, as I have done and almost died um, of hypothermia. Or um, get a dog sledge, I've done that as well. Um, or, if you're lucky, a helicopter, and I've done that as well. Um, or a little plane. And uh, in one place right up in the far north, as, as near as you can get habitable place to the North Pole, <laughs> this is just about, and the pastor there is just praying, Lord, I'm, I feel so lonely, isolated, there's no one around, I just feel on my own. Him and his wife were just praying and crying out to God, just smile on us. Just come to us so that we might know again your presence with us, your joy in our hearts, your peace with us. Hallelujah. Great thing to pray, isn't it? Especially when you're on your own. And they really are on their own. And uh, that's all he was praying, for God just to smile on them. And he went out with his pack of dogs, um, they all got dogs up there, husky dogs, and there's a, there's a polar bear. And uh, his favorite dog, his number one dog, iPhone is called, thought, why not Samsung or Nokia? Or anyway, his dog's called iPhone. And the dog jumps up at the polar bear to protect his master, and the polar bear whacks him, and he's lifeless on the ground, the guy shoots the polar bear, sorry about animal rights and all that, but it was either him or the polar bear kind of thing. Um, and he carried his dog back home, got back to his little village, 300 people, that's all who live there. Um, the, the, they don't have doctors there, but the guy who's kind of, they look to as a medically, well, he's a shaman actually, a, you know, ancestor worshipping kind of guy who does all the you know, hands out aspirins and does whatever, I don't know what he does. You know, all this mumbo-jumbo with people to try and heal them. And uh, the guy cuts, the, the, eye, the eye of the dog is just hanging down on his cheek. And so he cuts the eye off, binds him up a bit, says he's going to die, but take him home. So he carries him home, leaves him outside uh, with the other dogs overnight, goes out in the morning, and the dog comes jumping up and running up and jumps into his arms. And he's saying, iPhone, iPhone. He's alive. Hallelujah. And he look, you know how they do, like, grab you. If you're a dog lover, I'm a dog lover, you know. And you kind of, you know, grab hold of the, the fur at the side of their head and pet them and, and, and uh, stroke them, don't you, and all that kind of stuff. And he looked into the face of his dog and there was a brand new eyeball in his socket. Hallelujah. 
an absolutely creative, incredible miracle of God. And he said, God smiled on me. It's his favorite possession. That's their most favorite thing, their dogs. The most valuable thing they've got is their pack of dogs. And God smiled on him. Hallelujah. It's beautiful, isn't it? God sees each one, notices each one, hears our prayers in our loneliness, in our time of grief, in our time of pressure, persecution, difficulty, discouragement, grief. God notices. Hallelujah. And he comes to us, doesn't he? As only he can. Thank God for the comfort and the support of people around us. But I tell you, there's nothing like the smile of God, is it? When God draws near, when his embrace calms our fears and comforts us and soothes our nerves, nerves and panic and worry about everything. Hallelujah. See, that's what we need, isn't it? Anyway, it's just the same. Paul's writing letters and communicating, hearing stories. People are traveling between the different churches and they're supporting and loving, caring for, standing with one another. It's just the same today. Oh dear, we never get through this passage. Anyway, let's try. He starts this letter, I like the way he starts it. Grace and peace. Often he started many of his letters, grace and peace. Grace was the Greek greeting, charis. It's a Greek word. That's how they greeted one another. Favor to you. That's what charis means. May, may you have a, a great day. And peace, of course, is the, the Jewish word shalom. It's the gr Jewish greeting. Peace to you. Well-being. May grace and peace, may favor and peace rest on your life. What a great way to start a letter. And then he prays for them. And notice how he prays. First, we thank God for them. Notice, so often with Paul, it's, he uses the term we because he's, he doesn't often use the term I. It's we pray for you. He's conscious that it's not just him. He's not just him doing his thing. He's part of a little team. He's part of the people of God. So he's with Paul, Timothy, and Silas. They're together. We are praying for you. I think if you ever find yourself on your own in the work of God, you're not in a great place. Get with God. God uses us. God multiplies our if effectiveness and our fruitfulness when we work together with other people. One person can put a hundred to flight. Two people can put ten, a thousand to flight. Whatever the numbers are, I can't remember exactly. But your effectiveness is multiplied when you work together with other people. Amen. And so don't try and be the private 
kind of on your own, doing your own thing kind of thing in the kingdom. It doesn't work like that, amen. And you just get lonely and frustrated and kind of a bit competitive and comparing what other people are doing. You work in team, you, you don't have that kind of hassle. Hallelujah. Amen. So many positives when you work in team. That's how God intends us to do the work of the kingdom. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Jabalani. I like that word. You've reminded me of that word. It's a great word, isn't it? Let's sing for joy about all this. We thank God for them. Notice, first of all, he thanks God for them. Secondly, he mentions them by, by name. We always thank God for you, verse 2, mentioning you in our prayers. I guess he mentioned them by name. Um, you know, there's so many people to pray for. Um, and you can't pray in depth for hours for any, we, you can maybe on occasion, but I found just to mention people's names before the Lord is a great way to pray for them. Lord, this guy in this country, I'm just naming him before the Lord, mentioning him. It's a great way to pray, especially if you feel a bit busy, you haven't got much time. Just mention people before the Lord. Great thing to do. It keeps you in mind. And uh, there's something about mentioning. And the third thing is he says, we continually remember you before God. It's a great thing to remember and to mention. And uh, this is how God is, actually. He remembers us. Hallelujah. He doesn't forget about us. We're always in his mind. Hallelujah. He doesn't forget about us. He doesn't ignore us, certainly. He doesn't fall asleep on us. The Lord neither slumbers nor sleeps. Hallelujah. He's always giving us attention. Let's remember people and mention them by name before God. Don't have to pray a long time. Just mention them. Hallelujah. That's a great way to pray. I I, some people ask me, how do you remember all these people all around the, the world? Their names, the places that they live. I could tell you all their names and all their places because I mention them before the Lord all the time. I'm driving along, I'm saying, Lord, just bless that guy this morning. Bless that couple. Lord, we just love those people. Lord, encourage them today. We're just mentioning them, remembering them. That's how you remember when you mention people's names before the Lord. Somehow they're in your heart, like they're in the heart of God. They're engraved in your heart, like they're engraved in the heart of God. That's the basis of prayer. Not that you've got a prayer list and you've got to go through it kind of, you know, and, and, and it's a religious exercise. No, it's a heart exercise. Prayer is a heart exercise. Amen. It's all about intimacy and dependency. It's not about religion and liturgy. Hallelujah. Now notice this next bit. They were, he said, we continually remember you before our God and Father. We remember your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice they weren't just doing 
work. It was work that was energized by faith. There's a great difference between just trying to work and serve the Lord, or when faith fills your heart and you're inspired and energized and kind of you're serving the Lord out of faith. Amen? And God wants us to serve him and work for him by faith. So there's a kind of divine energy and a divine kind of sense that God is with me in this, so I'm going to serve the Lord with all my heart. Like it says in Psalm 100, serve the Lord with gladness. Work for the Lord with gladness of heart. Amen? If you can't serve the Lord with a smile, go home and don't serve him at all. needs to be work that's inspired, that's energized by faith. Labor. Labor is like hard work. Labor is like the grind of work. It's when you keep going and working hard and it's sweaty and it's difficult and it's, ah, you know, you've got to put your back into it and make something happen. That's labor. It's not just work for the Lord, it's labor for the Lord. Amen. Have you discovered that you can serve the Lord and do stuff and not a lot happens and you have to really work at it, really put your back into it? And then you begin to see glimmers of breakthrough. When you kind of move from half-heartedness into, right, labor. We're going to break through. Whatever it costs, whatever it takes, God, I'm here and I'm not going to move and I'm not going to change anything until we have breakthrough. Amen? And that's, that's labor. And notice it's labor prompted by love. What keeps us going, what keeps us laboring, right? It's when our hearts are filled with love. When you want to see a breakthrough on behalf of someone else. When, you want to, when your heart's full of love. When your heart's full of love and faith. Wow. You know, you're, you're doing it from your heart with all that God gives you and graces you with. That's how we should serve him. Amen? I might have just about persuaded you on the work thing, the, la the, the labor thing. That's another matter. It gets worse. Endurance which was inspired by hope. Endurance is labor, and you just keep going with it as long as it takes. Endurance is sticking with it. Coming to the place where you, you're immovable in it. Whatever is going wrong, whatever everyone else says by way of discouragement, and usually if you're doing the work of God, there are many out there who use discouraging words. Let us be an encouraging people, amen? Let's abandon discouragement. Yeah? Because there's enough pressure out there without us adding to it. Amen? I need a few more amens just to encourage me. Yeah. But it's all inspired. Now you, if you turn to Revelation 2, it talks about the 
Ephesian church, and it's the same three words are used, work, labor, endurance. And, it, and the Lord says to this church in Ephesus, I know your work, your labor, and your endurance. I know you're great at these things. You're working hard, you're laboring, you're enduring perseverance. It says in my Bible, it's the same Greek word. You have persevered and endured hardship for my name. You've not grown weary yet. I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. Remember the height from which you have fallen. Wow. If you'd have looked outwardly at the church of Ephesus, they're working, they're laboring, they're enduring. But God's evaluation of it, you've fallen from a great height. You've lost your first love. It have become just work, just labor, just perseverance, no inspiration, no inner motivation, no, not out of a heart touched and filled and motivated by the faith, hope, and love of God. Can you see the difference? And I tell you, so often as Christians, I know I've fallen into the trap, maybe you have too. You just keep going when there's no sense of the presence of God. When you've kind of, you're doing it out of a sense of duty, maybe even a little bit grudgingly. Maybe there's a bit of complaint, even resentment in your heart, but you've got to keep doing it. Have you ever reached that point or is that just me? And I tell you, we've fallen from a great height. We've lost something. And we've lost the faith and the inspiration, the motivation that comes from being in the presence of God. They had lost their first love. Their walk with Jesus had become a bit of a distant thing. There was no more joy in his presence. No more relying on the Spirit. No more steps of faith. The risk of moving in faith and relying on God and depending on God and being in that place where if God doesn't show up, you're sunk like Peter on the water. I tell you, that's the place we should be. If we're going to serve the Lord effectively. And these Thessalonians, Paul was saying, you're, you're doing it. Not like the Ephesian church. Has your first love kind of disappeared? It's all about relationship. It's not what we do for him primarily. It's how we are in his presence. And I tell you, that's the key to perseverance. The presence of God with you. How, how can you keep going? If you, if you lose that, that sense, it gets so hard. But when it's stirred up every day, that's where God wants us to be. He wants our love, our affection, our hearts. First of all that, and then let's work for him. Then let's serve him. Let's, well, all, everything about the Christian life is about the heart. We do it from the heart. We love from the heart. We serve God from the heart. 
Amen? We worship from the heart. It's all about the heart. And when God's got our hearts, then everything else kind of falls into place. Hallelujah. If I finish about half past, is that all right? Sorry, I lost track of time there. I can't remember when I started. But you sure that's okay? Right. Verse 5. This is how the gospel came to them. By word... We need the word of God. Never let us get to the place where it's all just feelings. We need our minds informed. We need to understand what God's saying. Amen. The gospel came with word, with power. Hallelujah. The Holy Spirit with deep conviction. Where it says deep conviction, I don't think that that means deep conviction of sin. It might mean that. But my, the impression I get from this passage is that it's more a deep conviction about the truth of the gospel. These people were faced with the inescapable truth that Jesus is the Messiah who died on a cross for their sins. They were convinced about it, and so they con- committed their lives to following Jesus. I was in a church once in North, last year in North Europe, and uh, I was kind of um, led to believe just, you know, this is a very kind of calm church. And, uh, you know, we don't call people out for prayer or anything like that. And um, I said, okay, fine. And as I was preaching, I noticed that people all around, there were hundreds of people there, were tears were for, for now I'm, I know I'm good at making people cry. <laughs> but they were... I, I, I felt this is conviction. They're, convinc- they're being convinced by the Holy Spirit about something. And uh, I remember this, this meeting very well because the, the, the pastor said, said to me, oh, maybe we could call them out for prayer. And uh, I said, okay, well, you do it. It's your church. And he did ten- tentatively, and a few hundred people came out for prayer. And he said to me, what are we going to do now? I said, we're going to pray for them. What else? So we prayed for diff- different people. And, and these, some of these dear men, they, they would come out and put their head on your shoulder and tears were falling down their face. And there was one guy came out, and I remember him, but I didn't hear his story until three months later the pastor um, told me. He said, do you remember that guy? That, and, you know, I, I think maybe it was the same guy. He said he came out with severe hemorrhoids. And uh, I'll tell you why I remember this story in a minute. And uh, he said when we prayed for him, the power of God came on him and he was totally healed. Totally healed. But he waited for three months to report it, just so it was really a healing. You know what I mean? Not, not just, you know, something happened in whatever, you know, I don't know what might have happened in the meeting, but he was really healed of hemorrhoids. And I remember that, that very well because the first time I ever prayed for, I had boldness year, decades ago, the first time I ever in, invited people to come out for prayer for healing in a meeting where I was preaching, the, the very first guy who came out, came out like this, and he, 
he said he had hemorrhoids. <laughs> and I didn't know what hemorrhoids were at the time. And so I said, okay, well, sit down here and I'll pray for you. <laughs> Such was my brashness and unforgivable, kind of, you know, youthful kind of unawareness. And uh, I don't know whether he was healed or not. I suspect not. Um, but it's taken 40 years to hear of a healing from hemorrhoids. Hallelujah. But God heals of hemorrhoids. Maybe you're... May, sometimes when I... You know, off, a number of times when I've told this story, someone will come up to me afterwards and say, I've got really bad hemorrhoids. Will you pray for me? And if you're in that position, and I don't want to embarrass anyone at all, but God heals from hemorrhoids. Hallelujah. Praise God. There's five minutes left. Verse 6, it says, you welcome the message. How did they welcome the message? They welcomed the message by welcoming the messengers. They became imitators of Paul and his fellow apostles and imitators of the Lord. And then, then they became a model to all the believers in that region. That's the essence of discipleship. It's being an example. Paul often said, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. He wasn't saying, I'm perfect, so just follow my... He wasn't saying that. But he's saying, look, I'm trying to follow Christ the best I can. And if you follow my example, you're not going to go far wrong. It's not a pride thing. It's an encouragement thing. Right? That's the essence of discipleship. People will follow your example, whether it's good or bad. Whatever you preach, they'll follow your example. They don't care how much you know. They want to know how much you care. Amen? They want someone to model it for them. They want to go with someone. They want to follow. They want someone to take them with the hat by the hand and walk them through it. That's discipleship. Amen? Are you discipling anyone? Are you being discipled by anyone? We're all in the kind of process somewhere, discipling some and being discipled by others. Amen? Be an example. Follow other. Be close enough to other people to follow their example. Hallelujah. Thank God for people I can look up to and follow their example. And by the grace of God, some people follow my example. Because I'm trying to follow the example of Christ. Amen? That's where we want to get to in all this. The Lord's message rang out from you. Your faith in God has become known everywhere. See, that's the kind of church we want to be, amen? You want to be that, where your faith is known right across this area and right across the world, amen? Where your stories become stories that are heard right across the world, <laughs> hallelujah. Where people get up in the morning and say, thank God for that Hailsham church. There's such a provocation. There's such an inspiration to me. They send Simon. They send Chris. They send Owen and other people, hallelujah, to do the work of God. And they, and, and they see the example and they hear the example of the church here. Be a church that where, this, where, the, where the glory of God is sounded out, the encouragement of God is sounded out all around the world. Amen. Hallelujah. 
They turn to God from idols. An idol is anything that means more to you than the living God. That's what it boils down to. Anything you prioritize, anything you love more than God, anything you put before God in your affections, in your way of thinking, in your aims and ambitions, anything you put before God can become an idol. Amen? I know we don't like talking about idols, do we? Idols are created by man. God is the real creator of all things. Idols are dead and lead to death. God is alive and leads to life. Idols are many. God is one. Idols are false. God is true. Idols will lead you astray. Idols will wreck your life. Idols lead to unrighteousness. God leads us into righteousness. Idols enslave and trap people. God sets people free. Hallelujah. Who are we going to serve? Idols? Or the living God? These Thessalonians, they turn from idols to the living God. That's why, you know, it was kind of powerful for them. Don't be trapped and enslaved by anything. If you can't get free and if you can't say no to idols and yes to the living God, if you're captive to unrighteousness, enslaved to sin, turn to Jesus. Turn away from idols and turn to Jesus and he will set you free. Hallelujah. They serve the true and living God. That was how they were born again. That's how they lived their new life. This is the new creation. They turn from idols to wait for his son, Jesus, from heaven. Hallelujah. Amen. He's coming again. Hallelujah. This same Jesus who ascended, having been slain for our sin and raised from the dead that we could have new life. Ascended to the Father to pour out his Holy Spirit. This same Jesus is returning to planet Earth. Hallelujah. And we shall see him as we've sung this morning. Every eye shall see him. And when we see him, we shall be like him. Hallelujah. That's our destiny. That's where we're going Let's serve him with faith, with love, with hope. That is our hope. Amen. Let's be a church stirred up in our God. Amen. Let's stand in the presence of God. Thank you for listening. Lord, thank you for this great chapter that encourages us, that challenges us, that instructs us that lifts our gaze to much higher things than we're often conscious of. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you're coming again. Lord, with all our hearts, we want to serve you. Lord, make this a Thessalonian-type church, I pray, where their faith is, is spread around the world, is heard about around the world where their stories 
are repeated, like we repeat stories from other places in the world. Let stories from Hailsham be told all around the world in Jesus' name. Let this be a church that touches Hailsham, this area, and the ends of the earth increasingly. Bless these people, I pray, in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, let us walk worthy of you and seek to please you above all other things. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Amen.